Good morning, Christ Central. Uh, so good to see many of you after several weeks of being virtual. My name is Peter, and I get to serve as the planter for what will one day, Lord willing, be Christ Central Tysons. We've been going through a sermon series this year uh, through the book of Acts called Being the Church, and uh, we've been looking at um, uh, and reading about the early church to show us and remind us what it really means to be the church for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbors. And today we'll be reading uh, chapter 16, verse 1 through 15. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me there as we take a look at gospel relationships. This is God's holy and infallible word. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra in Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. It's unbelievable that we've been in a pandemic for, pandemic for almost two years now, and um, it's forced uh, as you have already experienced, many of you, uh, to, for all of us to accept norms that aren't normal for the Christian faith. Uh, things like not being able to freely meet uh, together with people. But I'm hopeful uh, that this pandemic won't last too much longer. At least that's what the reports and articles and videos say. But whether it's a couple months or even longer... God reminds us this morning and invites us to live out one of the most crucial elements of being a part of the body of Christ, a life of pursuing gospel relationships. Our passage picks up just after Paul begins his second missionary journey, and the purpose of this trip we find actually in the previous chapter in Acts 15, verse 26, where Paul says, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are, right? So they were going to see how they are. 
The trip was highly relational. The gospel frees us and compels us to pursue relationships. And as we go through our passage, we're going to see that the gospel relationships we're to pursue are, first, discipling relationships with believers, second, missional relationships with unbelievers, and third, a dependent relationship with the Savior. First, discipling relationships with believers. And when I say discipling, this means that someone in the relationship is growing as a follower of Jesus and someone is showing what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Our passage begins by telling us that Paul arrives in two neighboring cities, Derby and Lystra, which is uh, modern-day Turkey. And in verses 1 through 5, we see several people introduced here. And the people show us the kinds of relationships we're to pursue where discipleship happens. First, where we can disciple others. And uh, we see this when we meet a young man named Timothy for the first time here in the book of Acts. Uh, Verse 1 tells us that uh, Timothy's parents were a Jewish woman who was a believer, and uh, his father was a Greek. Timothy's mother, uh, interesting woman, is mentioned only one other time in the Bible, and it's in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul writes to Timothy saying, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Timothy's, Timothy's mother and grandmother were women of deep faith. And later in 2 Timothy, we see again Timothy's upbringing in the faith by these women mentioned again. Paul tells him to continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy's mom and grandmother discipled Timothy, and one of the main ways that they did this was by teaching him the Bible from very early on in his life. And this prepared him for the gospel eventually when he would meet Jesus as the fulfillment of all of Old Testament scriptures. Lois and Eunice had a powerful influence on Timothy's life and his faith. So much so that in a society where women are rarely mentioned, Paul honors these women by recognizing the discipleship that happened in their home. Just like Eunice and Lois discipled Timothy, we should pursue relationships where we can help disciple others as well. Second, we should pursue relationships where we can be discipled by others. We don't know when Paul first meets Timothy, uh, but here in our passage, getting to know Timothy, Paul asks for him to accompany them along for the rest of this trip. And notice the verbs our passage uses and, and who those verbs belong to. Verse 3 tells us that Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, that Paul took him, and that Paul circumcised him. Paul is the one who wanted Timothy, and Paul is the one who brought Timothy along. Paul is the one who had Timothy circumcised. Now, let me briefly mention here about why Paul wanted Timothy to be circumcised, because last Sunday, Pastor Owen talked about cultural practices that were once religious practices that Jews could continue choose to continue doing out of personal preference. And Timothy's circumcision falls in this category. 
It was a practical decision because Paul's method of sharing the gospel was to first go to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And so Timothy's uncircumcision would have made it difficult. He would have had zero credibility among these Jews because they knew that his mother was a Jew. And so Paul asked Timothy to get circumcised for practical purposes. So although Paul is the one who wanted Timothy, Paul is the one who invites Timothy and thought Timothy should get circumcised, we can't overlook the fact that Timothy volunteered and Timothy agreed to all of these things. Timothy heard Paul preach the gospel. Timothy saw Paul do ministry. Timothy felt the conviction to say yes and go along this journey that would probably be very, very dangerous. And because of these decisions, uh, he even agreed to go through the painful procedure of circumcision for the sake of the gospel. And throughout his life, through these decisions that he's made, his life would be filled seeing the gospel advance in churches, in families, and cultures throughout the Mediterranean for the very first time. And he got to be a part of it because Timothy shows us that we should pursue relationships where we can be discipled by others. The gospel frees us and compels us to pursue discipling relationships. Did you know that one of the main reasons the church exists, perhaps the, the, main, the, the most important reason the church exists, the reason that our church is here today is to make disciples. This is why Jesus made the church. So if you're a member of this church, this means that you ought to be in relationships where discipleship is happening because you cannot live out your call as a disciple of Jesus alone. You have to have Pauls in your life that are helping to disciple you. And you need to have Timothys in your life where you're helping to disciple as well. It'll look different in different seasons of your life. Maybe you only have one or the other. But one of the main ways to follow Jesus is showing others how to follow Jesus and where others are showing you how to follow Jesus as well. We can't do it alone. So let me ask, are there people here in our church, maybe here in this room, that you have these kinds of relationships with? Who's showing you what it looks like to follow Jesus? Who are you showing on what it looks like to grow as a follower of Jesus? Do you have people in your life that are modeling for you and maybe you're modeling uh, for what it looks like to be a faithful follower uh, in the home, at work, uh, with your time, talents, and treasures as you place your hope and your trust in this Jesus that we say that we follow? You know, the very purpose of our community life and family life ministries is actually underneath all the things that we do is to connect you to discipling relationships. So community groups and men's and women's groups and journey groups and central college, central youth, central kids, it's all different stages of discipleship, but it's discipleship. And in fact, all the ministries of our, uh, all the ministries of our church exist ultimately and foundationally for this very purpose, to help shape and mold you to be disciples, followers of Jesus. So if you're not already a part of these ministries, uh, can I encourage you to please join? And if your involvement is irregular, can I ask you to commit 
to these ministries that are helping you uh, because these aren't just random activities that we do at our church and these aren't things that we just do at our church because all churches do them. These are ministries that help you get discipled and help you disciple others. It's where people come together and can build up the Timothys of our church and where the Pauls of our church can help build others up as well. So as you think about your time, where to spend it, and the people you spend it with, I encourage you to be involved and committed to pursue the relationships that you find yourselves in in these ministries. Your brothers and sisters, the people around you are the ones that God has placed in your life, in your journey, to help shape and mold and build you up as disciples of Jesus. Our story encourages us to pursue discipling relationships with believers. But it also points us to pursue, second, missional relationships with unbelievers. And we see this as we uh, skip ahead to the end of our story in verses 11 through 15. And uh, what we need to be reminded of is that we need to pursue, first, people who are already around you. Our story shows us that Paul pursued missional relationships with the people who were already around him. And we know this because Paul, he went to the riverside. And Paul and the team, uh, after they leave Derby and Lystra, we see them, uh, they zig and they zag on their journey, which we'll get back to on the last point of our sermon. And um, they eventually end up in a city called Philippi. And this was, uh, verse 12 tells us, a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Uh, this was an important city strategically located where people went to get educated, where trade happened, uh, where people, um, traveled, pa travelers passed through. And so when they arrive in this city in Philippi, verse 13 tells us that on the Sabbath day, they went outside the gate to the riverside where there were people uh, and there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. Luke, he goes out of his way to tell us that Paul spoke with woman. And this was a big deal because Paul's usual practice was that on the Sabbath, as he's going on his missionary journey, was to first go to the Jewish synagogues. Jewish uh, tradition tells us that um, you needed at least 10 Jewish men for a synagogue to be established. But there weren't even enough Jews in the city of Philippi for a synagogue to be established. So instead of going to a synagogue, Paul goes to the riverside. And instead of talking to Jewish men, Paul speaks to Gentile women. It's fascinating that the gospel breaks down barriers. And we see this because Paul looked for people who were already around him. He heard of a place where people went to pray, and so that's where he went. But we also see that as we pursue these relationships, second, people are living out a story that may be preparing them for the gospel. Everyone has a story where they were, who they are, where they're going. And as you pursue the people around you, you have to remember that you are likely a part of their larger story and that through you, God may be preparing them for the gospel. This is what we see in our passage as Paul meets with a group of women. And one of the ladies that he meets is a, a woman named Lydia. Now, the Bible mentions very little about her, uh, but from what it does say, uh, we know that uh, Lydia's story 
where she came from, the people she knew, where she was going, what she experienced, that God was preparing her for the gospel. Lydia is uh, from a city called Thyatira, which was hundreds of miles away, but because uh, uh, of work, she ends up living in Philippi, uh, just like many of us uh, who are here in Nova because of work. She was in the purple dye industry, which was a pretty lucrative uh, business, and so she was probably very wealthy. But more importantly, the text says that she was also a worshiper of God. At some point in her story, Lydia was introduced to the God of the Old Testament, and she was drawn to this God. When Paul met her, she was even observing the Sabbath by meeting with a group of women to pray. And as she hears Paul tell her about Jesus of Nazareth and how he's the Messiah that all the Old Testament pointed to and was fulfilled in, our passage tells us that the Lord opened her heart. Just like God opened Paul's heart when his scales fell down, he opened Lydia's heart. And the gospel became not only true, but beautiful to Lydia. Lydia believes the gospel, gets baptized, tells her family about it. Her whole family gets baptized. And she ends up inviting and hosting this missionary team for the rest of their stay, serving as their home base as they did ministry in Philippi. She went all in. You see, as remarkable and admirable Paul was to share the gospel to Lydia, God was clearly already at work long before Paul ever met her. There's a married couple we uh, became friends with over the pandemic. They're not Christians. They um, uh, didn't grow up in the church, uh, uh, never went. And a couple of months of getting to know them, the wife uh, tells us that she's having night tears. She uh, can't fall asleep at night. She wakes up because of nightmares. She's even having like morbid thoughts as she's trying to fall asleep. And um, she was pregnant at the time. And just because of her worldview, she thought that it was like a bad omen. Like um, it was a sign. And so this led to uh, some conversations about faith and Christianity. And uh, we even looked at the Gospel of Matthew for several weeks. Uh, and uh, that was about a year ago. And since then, they've become dear friends to us, people that we're really close with. But they're still not Christians. And I think to myself, man, I, I kind of suck at this evangelism thing. Um, I don't know about you, but that, that's how I feel. But I also know that God isn't done with their story yet. Through our friendship, God may likely be preparing them to hear and receive and trust Jesus one day. Just like Lydia, our friends, and really so many of the people around you are living out a story where God may be and likely is preparing them for the gospel. And this is why it's so crucial for us as a church to hear and preach the gospel every week and every chance that we get because the gospel tells us that we're sinners saved completely by his grace. And when we grasp this, when this gets in us, we can't help but to share what we've experienced. Because there are people who are waiting at your riversides wherever that might be. And God is inviting you to pursue a conversation perhaps a friendship, 
with them for the sake of the gospel. It might be your neighbor or someone that you run into regularly at the gym or see at the office. It might be uh, your parent in your child's class or the dog owner at the dog park that you go to or the person that fixes your car or, or your coffee barista. Who are the people at your riversides? Think about their faces. What are their names? Where do you see them? Because the next time you see them, remember Lydia. Because it's safe to assume that God is inviting you to pursue some kind of relationship with them because God has been and is sovereignly working in their stories wherever they came from, who they are, the people in their lives. And just like Lydia, he's likely preparing them for the gospel. And you might be the Paul that God uses to open up their hearts. And if not, you might be the person that comes before Paul to prepare them to hear the gospel. And all of it is God's sovereign story for their lives and your life. So I want to encourage you, look for the Lydia's in your life. Pursue them, talk with them, become friends with them, perhaps even invite them to your home and into your life. And as you have opportunity, point them to Jesus. And don't be discouraged when nothing happens, trusting that God is sovereignly at work in their story, in our story, in his time for his glory. So I want to take a moment right here and I want to point you to a resource that I recently found to be really helpful. It's a free online class that you can find uh, on the Gospel Coalition website. It's called Evangelism in a Skeptical World. They call it a class, but it's really like a website with a bunch of video lectures and articles. And it's taught by a guy named Sam Chan. And uh, it's, uh, he's, a pretty neat, uh, he's got a pretty neat background. He's a, a theologian, evangelist, and a medical doctor. And uh, what's more interesting, he's actually from Australia. And so when you hear him talk, he's got this thick Australian accent. And that's pretty fun. Um, and to give you a bit of a teaser on one of his talks, uh, one of the most important things that he says for people to be effective evangelists is to learn how to listen and to keep on listening. So good. Highly recommend uh, you to resources like this uh, because the Bible calls us to pursue missional relationships with unbelievers. Our story also tells us that we're to pursue, lastly, a dependent relationship on the Savior. We see this right in the middle of our story in verses 6 through 10, the middle part of their journey after the team departs from Derby and Lystra and before they arrive in Philippi. And our story tells us two truths about why we can depend on the Savior. First, because he leads us. In our story, we see the Spirit of Jesus lead Paul and his team three different times. As they travel west, verse 6 tells us that the Holy Spirit kept them from speaking the word in Asia, number one. Number two, as they continue, they try to go into a region called Bithynia. But verse 7 tells us that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And then number three, then as they went as far as they could and kind of reached a dead end at a port city called Troas, Paul has this dream where a Macedonian man calls them to come over to, have some, to get some help from them. And so they hop on a boat and cross the Mediterranean Sea. Three times they were led by Jesus and three times they depended on his leading. 
The leading was most likely in the form of prophetic utterances or visions and even a dream, apparently, along with, uh, obviously, a lot of the external circumstances that they experienced. Uh, And let me briefly mention here that the way God led this team uh, in our story through prophecy and vision are descriptive and not prescriptive because God doesn't normally lead his people today through visions and prophecies, but God still does lead his people today. And God leads his people today through his word and through the Holy Spirit working in the minds and hearts of his people. So God leads Paul. They cross by boat. They land in Macedonia, which is a northern part of Greece, and they meet Lydia. And through Lydia and the first church that was planted in Philippi, the gospel is established in what we now know as Europe. And from the Middle East to Africa to Asia and now to Europe, we see the gospel literally fanning out to the ends of the earth. And it all began here with the Savior leading his people and leading Paul. The Savior leads us, which is why we can depend on him. We can also depend on him because we see that second, not only does he lead us, he loves us. There are only two times Paul visits this city, Philippi, in the book of Acts. The first is in our story, and the second is about six years later. And after that second visit, a few years after that, while he's in prison, he writes uh, to these Philippian believers the letter we now have uh, called uh, the, the Philippians, right? The letter to the Philippians. And out of all of Paul's letters to the New Testament, uh, to all the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament, um, Philippians is his most personal letter that he writes to the churches that he planted and pastored. If you read it, you, it's just so obvious that it's drenched with his love for the people he knows. We hear Paul saying things like, I hold you in my heart. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Each of the people Paul came to know and to love and to be blessed by because of his ministry along his Philippian journey were people the Savior knew and the Savior loves a hundred billion times more. And that's what the gospel is all about. Because this story points us to the bigger story of God pursuing people and actually God pursuing you. The gospel tells us that the Savior yearns for you and is affectionate towards you to the point where he journeyed not just across the oceans, but across the galaxies from heaven to earth, having lived a perfect life of obedience and dying a criminal's death for people like Eunice and Timothy and Lydia and each of you because he loves you, your joy, you're his crown. The maker and savior and ruler of this world, God of the universe wants a relationship with you. That's amazing. That's crazy. But there are still many others the savior knows and the savior loves that have yet to meet the Pauls and Timothys who will share the gospel in their lives with them. 
This is why planting churches is so crucial. And this is why our church is planting a daughter church in Tyson's. Our purpose as we go is to pursue gospel relationships. We're going to welcome the broken into a relationship with family where they'll experience the gospel. Because at different riversides in and around Tyson's, there are Lydia's whose stories God is sovereignly working in as he's preparing them for the gospel. And our hope is that the brokenness that they've experienced, the emptiness they feel, the doubts they have, the sufferings they've gone through, that all of it, that they would find all of it, the answer uh, in the Savior who loves us and the Savior who loves them better than anyone else in the world can. And when they do, our dream is that they'll be able to see themselves, their relationships, uh, their, their life and world through the lens of the gospel, where Jesus says he will one day make all things new. And this work of pursuing gospel relationships is what I want to invite you to consider joining. Because there are some of you whose stories God has been sovereignly working out and preparing so that you can join such a journey. And I want to take a minute to speak to you who uh, are here today. You might be thinking, you know what, Peter, that sounds awesome. That sounds fantastic. God changing me, God changing people, God changing lives uh, with and for the sake of the gospel. But uh, I, don't, I don't have anything to contribute. I don't have any skills or gifts. And what I'd like to say is that we're looking for people just like you. Because anyone can acquire gifts or skills. But people who know they're flawed, people who know they need a savior, people who have a heart for people and the lost and who want to be stretched for the sake of the gospel, you are a gift to this church and you'd be a huge gift to Christ Central Tyson's. So I want to specifically and personally welcome you and invite you to consider joining the team. Come to our Tyson's Vision Gathering. So that happens every, uh, the, the last Sunday of every month. The next one is next Sunday. You can check out more by going on the Planning Center and registering there. And whether you go or whether you stay, God calls all of us to pursue gospel relationships. As inconvenient as they may seem, especially during this pandemic. As uncomfortable as you might feel, you need them, we need them, people need them, and we pursue them because our Savior who loves us and gave up his own life for us first pursued us. So Christ central. As the pandemic continues and hopefully, hopefully wanes soon, as we think about our time, let's consider how to use it to pursue relationships for the sake of the gospel for our good and God's glory. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for gospel relationships. Thank you for the people in and around us and at our riversides. They are gifts you give to us, sovereignly working out, uh, uh, as you're sovereignly working out our stories uh, to grow in our trust and our hope in you. So help us to pursue them, for your name and the sake of your kingdom. Amen.